Geico presents sharing versus oversharing. Today, Bridget Griffin shared a video of her daily yoga routine, two self-help articles, and her new blog called Build Your Inner Bridge with Bridge. Girl, your sharing has turned into oversharing. No worries, Bridge. Geico has some info worth sharing with your seven blog followers, like how you could save money on your car insurance, update your policy, and report a claim just by visiting geico.com. How's that for building your inner bridge? Bridge, Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. I'm Barb DeLong, and along with Patrick Cook, we are the Paranormal and Spiritual Forum for Matrix Radio. We explore a virtual plethora of topics as extensive as the cosmos while seeking truth, love, and a brighter future for all of humanity. No topic is too small or too large. We go anywhere the paranormal or spiritual leads us, and always there is a desire to bring the light into the darkness of the unknown. All things are possible in this forum, and we seek to bring the truth out into the light no matter what it is. From UFOs to divination, ancient civilizations to crop circles, dragons and fairies to unicorns and aliens, the Bible to healing, and everything related to all of the above, and much, much, much more. If you can think it, we can give you information. We bring a unique focus to all areas of discussion, and each of us has a rich and diverse wealth of knowledge and wisdom at our fingertips, providing unusual perspectives to all things paranormal and spiritual. Tonight we draw to a conclusion our series on the miracle of the near-death experience. We've listened to many who have been to the other side and returned and been inspired and impressed with the similarities of their testimonies and their experiences. Tonight we conclude with a special interview with Dr. Lynn Katai as she discusses her own personal near-death experience and how it was a life-altering event for her. She'll also be talking about her eyewitness accounts of the Phoenix Lights and how they as well shifted her perspective and altered how her spiritual views changed in, in life as general. Dr. Katai is an internationally acclaimed physician, health educator, and actress, as well as a serious researcher of one of the largest and most publicized UFO encounters in history. She has been very kind to share with us her insights and her views. It's our pleasure to present this interview with the hope that it will help others to realize that we are not alone. Good evening. Hi, this is Barb DeLong. I'm here with Dr. Lynn Katai, and this is an extension of our near-death experience program that Patrick Cook and I have been doing on Matrix Radio. This is an extension because Dr. Lynn has some 
fascinating information, and, and our last show was four hours, and we weren't able to get everything in. So this show is dedicated completely to her and her experiences because they extend way beyond the near-death experience. They go into the UFOs, the Phoenix Lights, for which she is very well known. Her book, The Phoenix Lights, A Skeptic's Discovery That We Are Not Alone, is a fabulous, fabulous book, and I absolutely recommend it to anybody who wants to not only learn about the Phoenix Lights, but go more deeply into what the experience of seeing a UFO and having an encounter with them, how it is an awakening, how it can change your life, how it shifts your focus, and how it brings a greater sense of spiritual awakening to all individuals that have experienced it. So without any further ado, Dr. Lynn, I welcome you to this part of the program that is just yours and mine. Well, thank you so much, Barbara, and it, and it is exciting to be able to talk about this phase um, of, of my own experience, but also, uh, you know, share so others know that they're not alone in all of this. Oh, absolutely, and, and on the last show we did, that's, that's what we kept getting from people who have had the near-death experiences. They, they were so excited that they they were finding that their experiences were so similar and and it brought such a wonderful sense of of excitement to all of them and from reading your book and from what you said in your book about how you had this awakening when you were you know well it happened when you were a very young child but it didn't actually um reawaken within you until you were much older so you want to share a little bit about what happened here there um, sure. I mean, I, uh, you, you hit the nail on the head. Actually, it was quite curious. Right before uh, the Phoenix Lights um, reappeared uh, throughout the state of Arizona, and we can get into details on the on this mass sighting, which has become historic in the annals of not only ufology but human history because so many people saw it and it was so documented, uh, and it is still unexplained 13 years later. Um, but right before uh, uh, I actually saw the lights again, because I had seen them two years earlier, um, I had had a, uh, some surgery, and I took out a whole bunch of books, because my husband is also a physician, and I had had a close sighting of these orbs. And it was so unusual, and I did get pictures of them. They're on our website, uh, Phoenix Lights Network, the phoenixlights.net, uh, if anybody cares to, to look at the unique photographic um, collection that I that I have accumulated. But uh, I had no idea that this kind of technology was, was here on Earth and wondered for two years why we had the experience we did and why I got the pictures that I did. And lo and behold, it, when I was going to be having the surgery, For, for for these kinds of topics, I was so busy with my own bringing up my own uh, boys to be caring and and productive adults as well as um, community education. I have a company that produces video and workbook curriculums on the reality of vital health issues for for 30 years. Uh, and uh, I have to say, Barbara, I have felt obliged to do the same for this vital topic. But nonetheless, I, I took out uh, oh my goodness, a plethora of books, a dozen books on. Um, near-death experience and Edgar Casey and holistic medicine and um, things that I had never really had time uh, to look at because I knew I would re be recuperating for a couple weeks. And the first book I picked up was Closer to the Light by Melvin, Dr. Melvin Morse, and uh, he is a, a pediatric uh, doctor who is really focused on, on the near-death experience uh, and co-written by Paul Curry. And I started reading it, and as I was reading it, 
one child came uh, to a barrier, and I thought, geez, that happened to me. And another child talks about having a short life review. And I thought, oh, my goodness, that happened to me. And then the, the, the next uh, child in, in his experience saw these beings of light in, in glowing white robes. And I thought, oh, my goodness. I mean, here I had been to medical school, and we never, ever had anything in the early 70s uh, concerning near-death experience. But um, here we are now in 1996 at the time. Uh, the, in December, and uh, I'm reading about science finally catching up and, and actually addressing the millions of people who have had uh, near-death experiences and the consistency uh, in their stories. And it really, I mean, it was like a, a light bulb just shattered in my brain. I mean, cascaded memories of uh, a near-death experience that I had had as a child, which I never really thought of as a near-death experience. I knew it was real to me, but I didn't know what kind of experience it was or why I had it. And I have to tell you, I started reading book after book, Transformed by the Light, also by Dr. Melvin Morris uh, and Paul Perry, and actually called Paul Perry. At the end of the book, it said that he lived in Scottsdale, Arizona. And I called just to confirm with him personally uh, what I had uh, as a child was a truly a near-death experience. And we actually met two days before, and, and this was after weeks of trying to get together, two days before the mass sighting. Oh, my God. Serendipitously, which I have come not to believe in coincidence, and I shared with him what I will share with you if you'd like to hear uh, my near-death experience. And um, he, of course, uh, you know, said immediately that, that that was a lot of what happened was very typical in oh, near-death yeah. No, no, I think, I think everyone would really love to hear it because the similarity is just striking. So if, if you would share it with us, that would be great. Absolutely. Um, well, I was about eight years old. Uh, this was in 1956. And at that time, uh, they did use ether. And I, I uh, don't know what kind of anesthetic I was given, but I knew I was having major uh, dental work. And, and actually, um, one of our sons had eight, like eight, eight or nine teeth pulled. I mean, it might have been something similar to that. But at any rate, I remember a mask being put over my face. And shortly after, it felt like I was going around and around and around like a um, revolving glass door. And this strange musical uh, sound was, was accompanying this turning. And suddenly, it stopped. And I, I couldn't go any further. There was like a barrier. And I knew if I moved any further around in this sliding, in this revolving glass door situation, that I would be dead. And I was terrified. And uh, the, the first thought I had um, was my mom. And I had a very short life review. Obviously, I was only eight years old. And, and by the way, um, about a year after the mass sighting, uh, there actually was a show on 60 Minutes, I believe it was with Dan Rather, um, and I mentioned it in the book, where they actually did a whole program on how children can be injured or uh, even uh, death can occur during anesthetic uh, in the dentist's office. So that kind of confirmed to me, again, that, that, something, that this was real. But at any rate, well, I know it's real. I mean, I can remember it as if it was yesterday. But at any rate, I go through this. Whoops, 
keep losing her. Well, he doted on me. And uh, I was like her little toy gift, whatever you want to call it. And um, I knew that if, if I died, that she would be devastated. And going through my mind, I was thinking, I can't die. I can't die for her. I can't die. The next thing I remember, I, I shot up above the earth, and I was floating very peacefully. No more panic, no more uh, anxiety, very peaceful among the clouds, and I noticed um, almost immediately there were three giant beings. Now, I don't know, they could have been 10 feet. I was a kid, so they, but they seemed giant to me, mm -hmm. um, right over me, and they were wearing white glowing robes with hoods, and I actually tried to look at their faces, <laughs> what they looked like, and I remembered that I couldn't see their faces. The hoods were like over their heads, so I couldn't see their faces. So to this day, I don't know who they were, um, but I, I felt the love and the compassion that they had for me, and they knew who I really was inside. They knew me, and I felt very comfortable and very um, safe and, and loved, and suddenly I realized that they were looking towards Earth, and I turned my head to look towards Earth, and it was like I had a high-powered uh, telescope that could see everything that was going on. Uh, there were, uh, I was watching kids jump over the trucked hopscotch uh, drawings on the, on the sidewalk. Um, I noticed a, a milkman delivering milk at the door, which they used to do in those days, in 1956. I can remember. Do you remember that? I do, I do. And, um, and, and a man was putting out his sign uh, to hearken the, you know, the, the opening of his store. Um, at, but what really struck me was while I was watching it, all these normal, natural things going on, I knew what was going to come next. And I thought, geez, if I know what's going to come next, then then that might, must mean that we don't have control over what comes before us and, and these beings are watching. What's, they must know what's going to be happening. And I thought to myself, okay, if, if this is so, then maybe we don't have control over what comes before us, but we do have control over what we do with that situation, if we just blow it off, or we take advantage of, of opportunities, um, how we treat uh, the people that we meet. I mean, it was very profound. I mean, mm -hmm. this, is, this is going on while I was having my near-death experience. But, but also and, and then I thought to myself, well, if these beings are watching what we're doing and giving us a stimulus to see our reaction, doesn't that mean that humankind is an experiment? And as soon as I had that thought, a magnanimous male voice said, it's not your time, it's not your time, you have to go back, there's a reason you have to go back. Mm -hmm. And immediately I was back in my body and noticed, and I was coming out of the anesthetic, and I noticed that the nurse and the doctor were kind of running around and kind of frantic, and I could hear... Uh, you know, one of them said, the nurse was saying, uh, thank goodness she's okay. And they had me up uh, with my legs in the air um, to probably to, to get blood to my brain. Um, and I, I have to tell you, nobody ever told me that anything happened, but I know that it did. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know unequivocally 
that, that something went wrong and that something happened, and they had me laying there for quite quite some time. And I have to say that after that experience, not only uh, did I go, we had a park right near our house uh, at the time, and I would go to that park, and I, I didn't tell a soul, by the way. I mean, it was so real and yet so absurd. I mean, how do you tell anybody that that, that you met three beings in white glowing robes above the earth? And, and yeah. uh, But I kept looking up at the sky to see if I could see them again, find them again. Um, but, of course, I, I didn't. But afterwards, I have to tell you, Barbara, the and I didn't speak to anyone for weeks after that. That was such a profound, life-altering experience that for an eight-year-old, obviously, to come to come out of something like that with uh, such profound thoughts. And I, I was just going to say, I mean, in 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 your you know in your recounting of it. The, the thing that strikes me the most is for an eight-year-old, those were pretty heavy-duty thoughts to be coming through your mind. Well, not only that, but I led a very sheltered life, okay, a very sheltered life. My my mom was very, and dad, were very, very protective of both myself and, and my brother. And we were in a religious family, so it wasn't anything that, you know, I had heard before or would have ever dreamt up. I mean, it was just totally foreign from anything that I would have ever even entered my, my psyche. Um, but it was so real, nonetheless. And I have to say that after that, uh, my whole life transformed. I mean, I, I have felt since then that I, that I did come back for a reason. I didn't know what it was. Um, but I hoped that I would find out someday. And I have to say shortly after that, both my, husband, both, both my uh, brother and I were, were a dancing team and a singing team uh, on television and in professional musical theater. And uh, my voice, I, I have to say that it's a gift. And I do believe music is, uh, is food for the soul. Uh, but my voice just developed into a, a really incredible caller to a three-octave um, voice that by the age of 14, I was taking lessons from uh, the head of the music department at Temple University, uh, studying opera and so forth. And I, th I thought that's why I came back, because I was supposed to give people uh, pleasure and joy uh, through, through, my, through my voice and, and, and vocal talents. But nonetheless, um, I also, from a very young age, and this is something when you do look at the data, and I've always said the data speaks for itself, and, and it does. When you look at the data, uh, particularly the book Transformed by the Light, mm -hmm. and how near-death experience has uh, affected other people um, so profoundly in a positive way uh, that uh, they are much more aware, as I was since I was a child, uh, of everything. My eyes were open. I was awake to the opportunities that came before me. And if you look at my life, I had some amazing opportunities, uh, as well as um, how I treat others. And, and also one of the messages that I came back with is, is to look for the good in others. And sometimes it's very difficult to find, but uh, there is good in everyone. And, and if you look for it, you will find it. Uh, and, and I've tried to, to go by that my whole life as well, uh, as, as helping the community and helping um, others and, uh, to learn and to grow. And that's, that's been my life. I mean, I have uh, donated my own times and monies for decades. 
to help the community with vital health issues and uh, now with the Phoenix Lights. So it's just part of part of who I am. And I actually knew the secret from from eight years old, but I didn't. I didn't. I thought everybody did. Yeah. <laughs> those those people who have awakened have been utilizing that energetic within their lives since the time of the awakening or their awakening and it really is amazing um ufo experiences near-death experiences out-of-body experiences these all seem to be keys that 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 open people's consciousness up to to a, a, a greater appreciation for humanity and and a greater awareness that we are a singular family we are not individuals Absolutely, and, and some of the things that uh, that also struck me. I mean, I I came back with the three A's: awareness, awareness of of what comes before you, that it's there for a reason, that the people that we meet and the opportunities we have are there for a reason, and and if our eyes are opened and our heart and our mind are open to them, um, you you really can take it. I mean, life is incredible. You really can take advantage of of so much, and and sometimes uh, you know the the, the next day would be um, uh, attitude, uh, and I truly, truly believe that uh, your own attitude has an effect not only on your body and, and health-wise, but on everybody around you. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you have a positive attitude, you exude that energy uh, all around you, as well as a negative edi- attitude. I think you attract negativity the more you are negative. And, and I've seen this in medicine. I've seen people that, that are negative um, get MS and, and different other diseases that, uh, that perhaps if they had that positive attitude, uh, they might have had a propensity towards it genetically or whatever but but maybe that would have been uh hidden forever if they if they had had a positive attitude so attitude is really really important i mean even if something bad happens uh i've always said and and uh and i've always felt that that something good will come from it that you will learn from it that something even better will happen and inevitably it does, it does. um but it's but it's uh, a belief in that in that sort of world view that really helps make it happen. Intention is, is very, very important uh, with attitude. And then the third A is appreciation. And every day I, I thank whoever is out there, the source and, and whoever, because I have felt that those three beings, I have to tell you, mm-hmm. have been with me ever since I was a child. And even though I don't hear voices or anything like that, but I get inspired inspiration I get a feeling that I should do something or call someone or uh, write something or um, go somewhere and it always leads me to a good place I mean I if you read my book um, even when the Phoenix Lights uh, event happened and I didn't know why I had this documentation for something that was so bizarre and foreign to me and yet I was accumulating incredible data uh, photographic data uh, that I didn't know what to do with and even my son I mean he was the only one I pushed my entire professional life aside for four years after the mass sighting to try to find a logical source and meaning for what I had witnessed and photographed and I've yet to find it but what did happen was that I really I mean a whole new world opened up to me of incredibly compelling information that I ended up writing a 750-page journal four years later, and my younger son, who, because uh, I had to go back to work to, <clears throat> to, to help put him through medical school, 
as a chief clinical consultant at the uh, Arizona Heart Institute the Wellness and Imaging Center, while I pared down the book because I, I had given the 750-page journal to Danny. He happened to be home for a few days, and I said, you know, I really trust your, your opinion, Danny, very sensitive uh, soul and, and a beautiful soul. And he read the whole thing and looked at me and said, Mom, you have to do this. This is too important not to share. And everything you've done has led up to this. And, you know, I really, really took that to heart. Not only that, but my other friends, and I said, why do I have this stuff? I don't know anything about this topic. I didn't know what to do with it. And they said, are you kidding me? That's what you do. You, you produce video and workbook curriculums and, and community education uh, since, uh, actually since medical school in the 70s. And uh, you'll know what to do. And I even went out on the balcony. Uh, the month after uh, the Phoenix Lights event, and I just looked up at the sky and and asked for guidance. I and, and when I've asked for guidance, um, I've always gotten it. It just thing will seem right, and and uh, I I feel comfortable going with the flow and and doing what what seems the right thing to do. It's always led to, to something positive. So, um, you know, that in and of itself, I have never felt alone. I have to tell you, Barbara, I have never felt alone. And I think that other people that have had near-death experiences uh, will, uh, will agree with that. And what was really interesting, actually, is as I was interviewing other witnesses for the Phoenix Lights event, and for anybody that doesn't know what the Phoenix Lights event was, on March 13, 1997, while thousands of people we're looking skyward uh, purposely to catch a glimpse of the Hale-Bopp Comet, and it was a beautiful night, and many people were outside playing baseball teams and golf and et cetera. They also saw a glimpse of a mile to two-mile-wide either formation of orbs, balls of light that seemed to be attached to something, or craft. I mean, there there is so much data on the on the website that people are welcome to look at. Phoenix Lights Network, um, the Gap Project. I mean, there were several different crafts that people saw uh, traversing throughout the state. Some people uh, saw these orbs detach from the main object and go out into the environment and then redock with it. Um, one of the other things that, that happened is it was going very very slowly, just gliding, very low altitude, about uh, roof top level, and then suddenly it would take off at a tremendous speed. So it was incredible technology to be sure, um, and, and also affected people at a very, very deep level, which we can get into. But what, what was really profound for me when I was interviewing other witnesses is that some of them would share with me, by the way, I had a near-death experience as a child that was reawakened by the event. And that really struck me personally because um, I had also, and I thought, geez, could there possibly be a connection between all unexplained phenomena, be it near-death experience, out-of-body experience, unexplained aerial phenomena that have a mystical light associated with the experience? And lo and behold, when I started looking, Barbara, <laughs> I started finding, I found uh, projects uh, going on at university level, the Omega Project, by Dr. Kenneth Ring at the University of Connecticut, very detailed and complicated study of the connection between all unexplained phenomena and others, Dr. Raymond Fowler, Dr. Bruce Grayson, et cetera, um, were really coming to the conclusion, and I, I actually uh, share some of this very simply in the book, not only are the experiences very similar, 
be it near-death experience, out-of-body, or unexplained aerial phenomena. And some people actually, while they were having a near-death experience, saw UFOs. I mean, it's, it's fascinating when you look at the, at the data that's out there from millions. Oh, yeah, and, and you know, I, I've seen a UFO. It landed on my campus when I was in school, and it changed me. And Dr. Moody says, and, and this is a quote from your book, that those people that have seen or had a, a UFO, an unexplained phenomena, that the people are transformed, they embrace exactly, life. Exactly, and that, that actually, Barbara, was the most profound part for me and the most poignant part is that not only was the experience similar, but the after effect. Oh, God, yeah. So, so uh, the enlightenment, the, the awakening that happens within an individual who truly experiences an unexplained phenomenon, what I saw calling ups, because mm-hmm. they are ups. It's a, it's a positive thing of connectedness to the universe and to the earth and to each other that is realized that is it just changes your whole worldview and, oh. and your whole life forever. And um, it certainly did mine since I was a child, and I know many others. And it and has affected many people who experience the Phoenix Lights as well in, in the same positive way. I mean, I know a number of people who uh, gave up uh, their, their bad eating habits uh, and, and also uh, won't eat meat anymore. Um, my husband, one of them actually, uh, as well as uh, get into the peace movement, uh, ecology movement, because um, it really wakes you up. It well, really wakes you and, up. And it gives you a sense of urgency, as though it does. It, it does. It, you have to hurry and get and, and wake other people up, too. And, and, and that is sometimes a frustrating thing, because sometimes people don't want to wake up. Right, and that's their choice. Everybody comes from a different background, a different upbringing, a different belief system, a different worldview, and many people are in their own little reality cube, uh, whether it's from religion or from what we've been told to, you know, by the government or military. Um, when you have an unexplained phenomena experience, an up experience, it opens your reality to so much more than we can ever imagine, and the, pot- the positive potential we have as human beings. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are things that we are not being told we are capable of doing that the military has been using for years, oh, and, and they've been doing, um, you know, spy uh, projects in, in Russia for decades uh, called remote viewing. Mm-hmm. Um, we all have that capability of, of tapping into a higher source, a higher energy, and, and even getting out of our own bodies and, and um, out-of-body experiences, and, and you can train yourself to do this. Um, and, and Monroe Institute is one of the places uh, that, that, that people can learn how to um, really tap into the, the intuition and, and, uh, and to, to go beyond what our own, I used to tell people at the Arizona Heart Institute when they would come in for their consultation for their, their heart test uh, to see if there was uh, calcium built up in the, in the major arteries of, of their heart. And when they would sit down, I would say, this is your container for your lifetime. And they would look at me and they would say, wow, I never thought of it that way. <laughs> and I would say, you know, what you put into it or not is your choice. 
but there certainly is a formula to, to keep you healthy and uh, to let you live a longer life. And, um, uh, and you know, if you're aware and awake to that in and of itself, um, you know, our bodies are a container, and I really do believe this. Um, we are spiritual beings uh, here on Earth to have an earthly experience and, and to learn and to grow spiritually. And um, one thing that you do learn from the near-death experience as well, when you go through a life review, and I think this is really, really important for people to, to realize, is not only do you go through every single moment of your entire life, but you feel not only what you felt at that moment, but what the other person felt at that moment. You have instant empathy. And if you were kind to that person, you feel their joy and their, their gratefulness. If you, if you were mean or nasty to someone, you feel their hurt. And, and, and that, is, that is a lesson unto itself. And I have tried my hardest in this lifetime to be so mindful of that and to have my life review every single second. That when, when things come before me or um, animals, plants, the earth, whatever, I try to uh, really be mindful of what I am doing at that moment. Um, am I doing something positive or am I doing something that, that could hurt somebody's feelings or, um, or, or uh, you know, hurt something? And I actually pick up, <laughs> my, my husband thinks I'm crazy, but I actually pick up bugs when I find them in the house and, and take them outside. So, oh. and, well, I do. You're, you're way more evolved than me. If a bug comes in here, <laughs> I said that I'm this next incarnation. No, I mean, I really do think that we're all connected and that, and we're learning in quantum physics now. I mean, now we're finally moving forward in our own science, which I, I truly believe is very primitive, um, to understand that not only might there be other times and spaces along with ours, and if there's other times and spaces, then, and certainly string theory things, you know, is saying that there might be 10 or 11 different dimensions out there. But if there's other times and spaces, why is it so inconceivable that there are other intelligences in those other times and spaces that we get glimpses of if we're open to them or invited? Oh, absolutely. And, and the sensitivity that, that is inherent in anybody who has had a near-death experience or a UFO experience or and out of any 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 metaphysical experience um, is something that that gives you a greater resonance to the totality of of the completedness of of where we are and and how everything is connected and attached. I just I have problems with some of the itty bittyers, um, but I'm, I'm working on evolving to that. Um, I wanted to, to mention also, when, when you had your experience before, before Phoenix Lights actually happened, you, you kept talking about the, glow, the orange glowing orbs that you saw. Right. And, they, and there's a story to that, too. And just to finish the other, okay. the other thought about, about people that, you know, come from different backgrounds and different upbringings. I mean, some people can't deal with this. Some people don't want to deal with this. Um, they're too busy in their own lives or have their own problems or have their own set mindset, um, and that's okay. That's okay. Everyone in their own time. 
And that was one of the main reasons that I came forward after seven years of anonymity, Barbara, because not only was the information so compelling that as an educator, um, I felt obliged to share it. How could I stick what I had in the drawer? And I kept taking pictures of these phenomena. Oh, yeah. um, but not only that, uh, you know, the fact that uh, there's so much healing to be had. So many people have had an experience. It's real to them, even though most things can be explained. Once you have an up experience, an unexplained phenomena experience, and, it's, and, and it really strikes you. And again, some people can't deal with it, don't want to deal with it, they, they bury it, and that's okay. Everyone in their own time. But for those that want to, and that's why I came forward, there's, there's data now that, that really um, can help people. And I didn't even realize as I was writing the book, and, and I didn't even want to tell my story. I wanted to stay anonymous, but there was so much um, didactic information that it would have been boring to read uh, that I did put my story in it. And I didn't even realize in, in my own search for a logical explanation and my own transformation, uh, it, the book really helps others transformed as well and talk about you know rewarding I mean as a physician to be able to help people get to a, a good point with uh, you know when, when they've been holding their experience in for, for decades some people I, I have over 12,000 emails from people oh now that, that have shared their experience just with me because they've been afraid to, I mean, many of them have shared just with me, um, because they've been afraid to share it with their family or friends because people will think they're crazy. Um, but you know what? It's just comforting to know that you can talk about it, and it's very healing to be able to talk about your experience, whatever it is. Uh, and anybody's welcome, actually, uh, if they want to get on the website, the Phoenix Lights Network, and and share their experience. I love to, to hear from people, and it's, it's really important that you get it out there because uh, it's very healing and very cathartic. And getting back to, to the orbs, um, when we first saw our first sighting, which was two years before the mass sighting, and I'm now in the expanded book that just came out uh, this past March, uh, tells the story of what's happened since 2004 when I came forward, as well as sharing information that I never thought I was going to share, Barbara. It's so bizarre and so out there. I still, I'm still not able to, to wrap my head around it because I don't remember much about it, but I do have documentation, photographic documentation of it that's been analyzed. And um, when my husband called me out of the bath, a bath, I take a bath every evening between 7 and 8, and he called me out of the bath, one wall of our bedroom is a window. And we live pretty high on a mountain uh, in Paradise Valley and have a panoramic, beautiful panoramic view of the city skyline. So we know what planes look like in helicopters and car lights and street lights and so forth. This was not only very different, um, totally different from anything I'd ever seen, uh, but it also was very close. It was only a few yards from our property and a little below us over a private desert uh, residence that was very treacherous ground. I mean, you couldn't even walk there. And I certainly looked to see if anybody was there. And what we saw were three amber orbs in a pyramid formation, one on top and two very closely aligned underneath, like the pyramid. And on my first one, this was about 50, 75 feet off the ground, I looked to see if anybody was there creating it, and it was pitch black. And I thought, whoa. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to leave looking at it because I might miss something or it might disappear. So I tried to take in everything mentally. You know, when you have that mental moment, oh, yeah. 
mental moment when you really try to you remember every little nuance. Well, I tried to take in the, the size, the shape, the color, and so forth. They were about three to six feet each, and I called them an orb because the light did not extend outside the edge. The light was self-contained, and it was uniform amber color throughout. Each orb was actually an oval shape on its side, like an egg on its side, and it didn't glare. The light did not glare. Every other light out there glared. These were very mesmerizing, very soothing, very non-threatening, and as I'm watching these, I thought to myself, geez, you know, if I don't get a picture of this, nobody's going to believe it. And I ran to my closet, grabbed my 35 millimeter. As my husband calls me back to the window, he says, get back here quick. One of them is disappearing. And as we watched, the top orb, it didn't budge. And I have to say the only movies that uh, our family ever saw was E.T. Close Encounters. And with the two boys, we would watch Star Trek uh, the original series, um, you know, periodically because of the, the wonderful messages. And I remember the Romulan cloaking device, like kind of wavers before yeah. it cloaks. Um, this didn't do that. This didn't do that. It didn't budge. But it felt like it was cloaking. I, it was just the most phenomenal, amazing experience that you could ever have. I mean, here was something in front of me that I had never seen before. I didn't know we had this technology on Earth. It was in a private gated community, um, so there's no way it was, it was military or anything like that. And here the top orb was just fading very, very slowly from view, but after it disappeared, it felt like it was still there. That's the only, I mean, the only thing that I can even think happened is that it was in another dimension, and, but it was still there. Uh, I got out onto the balcony. My husband was inside. I was outside on the balcony and uh, immediately clicked a picture of the two lower orbs and noticed an eerie silence as if time had stopped. It was, it was just extraordinary. And as I'm intently watching these two bottom orbs, I have to admit, and I didn't admit this to anybody until way after the mass sighting, that it felt like an intelligence was watching me. Mm -hmm. And going through my mind, I was thinking, who are you? What are you? Do you know that I'm here? I'd love to meet you. That was what was going through my head. For sure. Next thing I remember, the left bottom orb started to disappear, and I quickly shot a picture of that. Something told me to take a picture, and I took a picture real quick. That was the only picture that turned out at the time. And I have to tell you, what I've shared with you is what I remember. I don't remember going inside that night. I don't remember going to sleep. I, don't, I just don't remember. And it doesn't even matter. Okay, and I've, I've gone over it a zillion times in my own mind. I mean, the, the experience was wondrous and uh, comforting and, and all of the above. And I've even thought, is there a connection between these three orbs to the three beings that I, that I met during my near-death experience? I don't know, but I'll, but I'll share something interesting with you. After this happened, um, number one, my husband wouldn't talk about it. I mean, talk about someone that just didn't want to deal with it. He got agitated every time I tried to bring it up, which didn't make sense to me because I thought it was wondrous and awesome and incredible. He knew something had happened, but he would not talk about it. And so I just stopped, you know, even bringing it up and just wondered myself what this, what this extraordinary experience, why did it happen, why did we both see it, how did I, the only picture I got at the time was, the one, the last one, one half disappeared and one's still there. But it was an incredible picture because mm -hmm. it proved to me personally that we did see something unusual. It was real. I didn't even know who to show it to. 
And it wasn't until two years later that um, when the lights came back again, they came back at a distance. And I started documenting, this was two months before the mass sighting, I started documenting these orbs again, but they were in a massive span. It was really unnerving the first night that I saw them. I was shaking um, because I didn't know what we were dealing with. I mean, not having an explanation for the 95 close these orbs are at a distance now and a massive span. Uh, you know, was it a mothership? Was it, uh, you know, a fleet? I mean, it was just really unnerving. And I called around the next morning to try to find a logical explanation and found air traffic controllers at Sky Harbor International Airport who saw the same thing at the same time. In fact, the pictures show on, on, on my photo page on the Phoenix Flights Network that, that I caught this thing head on turning into a V as it, as it was turning. And the pictures are really unbelievable and confirmation, certainly, that, that something extraordinary happened. But what was, was really amazing is when I found these air traffic controllers at Sky Harbor that saw the same thing at the same time, because they start describing to me, uh, not only the time was the same, but that they saw with their binoculars six points of light, massive span, equidistant from each other, that seemed to be attached to something, but they couldn't quite see what it was attached to. And you would hear that over and over again two months later during the mass lighting when this thing went throughout the entire state. And it turned, and that's what my pictures show that. So we saw it at the same exact time. It turned against the wind, and then it moved slowly behind South Mountain. And when I said to them, well, what was it? Because this was in restricted airspace, in Class B restricted airspace, which is a 30-mile radius around the center of the uh, airport where anything that comes into to that air traffic needs to call the tower, and nobody did, and it did not show up on radar. And when I said, so what was it, there was silence, and finally one of the air traffic controllers said, beats me. And I said, wait a minute, you're a professional sky watcher, and you don't know what these things are? And I continued to take pictures of these things up and to including uh, one of the handful of signature videos uh, right exactly at 10 o'clock. I caught the three points of light uh, in the same location, by the way, and confirmed the next morning uh, by air traffic controllers as also hovering over Class B airspace uh, at that time as well. So here I had documentation. How could I not share this with people that might be important? Well. When about a year and a half later, actually in 98, January of 98, uh, strange lights came back again. And I alerted uh, some of the people that had taken uh, video the night of March 13th. And we were actually positioned north, south, east, and west and caught a 20-minute array. And this is through a fog. And we don't have fog. It was very eerie that whole weekend before because you couldn't see beyond our street. I mean, it is such a rarity to have fog because our humidity is so low here uh -huh. in, in Phoenix that it, that in itself, even my husband was kidding, they could be there and we don't even see them. Well, that Monday night, the light showed up again. I, I called the University of Arizona, which, who I had met with their optical sciences department, to try to analyze my, my pictures. And they said if, you know, my, my camera was very um, elementary. And they said, if, if these lights come back, that I should get better equipment. And I went out the next morning and got high-powered uh, Pentex camera and towel lens and all that good stuff. And they came back the second night, and then I alerted people that I had a feeling they would come back the third night, and they did. I mean, it was an unbelievable 
uh, array um, straight lines and mirror images and uh, 40 miles wide. And the final thing, the grand finale, was this giant triangle of, of three lights, like a, a pyramid, but very big. And here I had four people that had the same uh, sighting at the same time that we could triangulate because on March 13th, the handful of people that took light, uh, the um, pictures of the, of the object, because a lot of people tried to take pictures, but it was so big and dark when it got close that they couldn't, but this was at a distance. And um, the handful of people that, that did get video, uh, not only were the videos different of different things, and, and you can see on our website too, the GAP, G-A-P, Geospatial Animation Project, a uh, compilation of 12 years of research of the many crafts that were seen. Um, also at 10 o'clock, there were uh, formations that were absolutely indicative of what people had described for hours before an arrowhead. And you can see, when you look at that footage, those lights are attached to something and or have a field in between all the rock-solid formation. Mine as well, the three points of light looks like the end points of a giant triangle or, or a V. And then the boomerang, which would happen later. We all took video at different times. Uh, Tom King a little before 10, mine at 10 o'clock, and then Kristen and uh, this other fellow, Chuck Reardon, shortly after 10 o'clock. Uh, so I had actually tried to hire a geological professor, surveyor from ASU, to try to triangulate and see where uh, these uh, this footage was around 10 o'clock, and as soon as he realized that we took them at different times and they were different formations, he said, there's no way that he could do that. But now in 98, I had video of the same uh, sighting at the same time by four different people, north, south, east, and west. So I had been uh, advised to call a Navy optical physicist and UFO researcher, Dr. Bruce McAvee a number of times by different people. And I thought, you know what, this might be a good good time to, to do that. And I contacted him and I told him I also had a, a very close sighting in 95. And uh, as an afterthought, I sent the first and the last picture to him of the 1995. And by then, I had gone back to negatives. And by the way, when I had tried to have the negatives developed in 95, I was told that there were strips that were blank, so I threw some out, which I could kick myself till today, but thank God I kept what I did, uh, because there's even more data. Uh, in fact, the, the um, negative that is attached to the last picture, the only thing in that negative from the closed sighting are the two unknowns. There is no skyline, nothing, um, which is very bizarre. What the heck is that about? But it, and there's, a lot of, there's a lot of bizarre stuff here. So that's why I was never going to come forward with this. But anyway, as an afterthought, I, I sent the first and the last picture to Dr. Bruce McAbee and said, you know what, I, I hope that you can tell me what these orbs were, the two close orbs in the first picture, and the last picture had one half disappeared and one still there. Well, he calls me several weeks later, and he says, um, Dr. Lynn, how long do you, did that sighting in 95 last? And I said, I don't know, just a few minutes, two, three, maybe four minutes tops. He said, are you sure? I said, that's what I remember. He said, ask your husband. I said, he won't talk about it. <laughs> and I'm, you know, there's no way that he's going to talk about this. He said, just ask him how long he remembers it being, which I finally said, said Frank down and said, Frank, we're not going to talk about it, but do you remember how long you think it might have been? 
in 95 when we had the closed sightings, I don't know, a couple minutes, maybe three minutes or so. And I went back to Dr. Maccabee to tell him, and he said, that's impossible. I said, what do you mean? He says, now keep in mind, I didn't know anything about this topic. I have no idea how to analyze anything or even, I mean, I just sent him the pictures and uh, and never really, um, you know, looked at them all that much because you know, I even took them down to the University of Arizona and they didn't know what to do with them. They didn't have the technology and Bruce, the, uh, the Brooks Institute of Technology as well in, in Santa Barbara, um, you know, they, they looked at them and they knew they were unusual and, and from what they tested, they couldn't have fit, fit into an earthly spectrum, but they didn't know what they were as well. But at any rate, he says to me, number one, in the background, which I just thought were city lights at the time, above the city are the same lights and the same formation, the line formation, in the same location as two months before the mass sighting and during the mass sighting, okay, that um, are disappearing while the close objects are disappearing. So we can postulate that when there were the three objects initially, there would have been the same six objects that popped up as did in uh, January of 97. Uh, and as the close objects were disappearing, in the first picture, you can see four lights in a row, and in the last picture, you can see two lights there. So that's very, very, very important, I have to tell you, because that shows and proves that these phenomena were around for a while. They were around two years before the mass sighting, two months before the mass sighting, and certainly during the mass sighting in the same area. That's number one. Then he says to me, look at the skyline. He said, there are many lights on in the first picture, groups of lights in the skyline that are off in the last picture. He said, that doesn't happen in two to three minutes. He said, I want you to do an experiment. And this was all run by him. I mean, I, I could not wrap my head around this, and I just was oblivious to, to any of this stuff. And, and But he asked me to, to different, on different nights, to go out to the same spot that I, you know, if I could remember where I was standing, and take pictures of the skyline, and let's be conservative and say that I got out of the bath at 8 o'clock, so let's start there, because I usually take a bath between 7 and 8. And the first lights, like one night I would do it every 15 minutes, uh, the next night I did it every half hour to see when the groups of lights would go out. Well, the first groups of lights of the skyline would start going out about 9 o'clock, and the last picture is indicative of between 10.30 and 11. Now, this is hours in between those pictures, not minutes, according to Dr. Bruce McAbee. And I, to, I mean, Barbara, I didn't even, I, I couldn't go there. I couldn't go there. It was like, okay, well, you know, let's move on. I just couldn't even go there. And he goes ahead and presents the case at the MUFON International Symposium in 1999 in Washington, D.C. as the first authenticated photographic evidence ever of missing time. And as we know, there are, you know, when we hear stories about UFO experiences, many people have this missing time. Right. But now we had photographs that, that proved that, well, you know, there were hours in between uh, the first and the last picture, not just minutes. And he presented it. I was anonymous at the time. Nobody there even know, knew who it was. And I buried it. I mean, I just didn't even want to go there. And last summer, 
the, uh, the new owner of Hampton Roads came in town with uh, Eckhart Tolle, and he wanted to, to meet me. He loved the first book, and he said, uh, you know, could, could we meet and, and chat? And as we were talking, you know, I said, a lot has happened since I came forward in 2004. Uh, and I also have other, other materials, other data that I have not shared yet. And he said, would you like to write another book? I said, no, thank you. <laughs> I mean, it was really not only one of the hardest things I've ever done, uh, writing the first book, but there was so much information because I, I condensed the best of that 750 page journal from four years of, uh, actually seven years of, of, uh, um, of research in, into 220 pages. And, uh, and I think it's important for people to read that before they get into the new stuff anyway. Uh, I said I would, you know, I, I would be open to do an expanded version. And so we did. And I thought, you know what, with the fact that quantum mechanics and quantum physics is starting to catch up now and addressing the possibility, the real possibility of other dimensions along with ours, um, maybe the data can help. Maybe the data uh, needs to get out there. Maybe it's important. Um, in order to be able to move forward in our, in our own evolution and, and our own, own understanding of time because our concept of linear time is primitive. Past, oh, yeah. present, and future isn't really what time is when you take into consideration that there may be other dimensions out there and other times and spaces. It's much bigger than we've ever thought. So anyway, I, I finally shared that in uh, uh, the new book that just came out in March. And also, uh, if anybody wants to read the whole 21-page, uh, very detailed um, report, it's posted on the website on the Phoenix Lights Network. Well, I have to tell you, I've, I've read the, the expanded version of, of the book. And um, while, while the story of the Phoenix Lights, you know, you do have whole bunches of stuff in there, it, it, and, and it's phenomenally documented the the it, the added stuff with the the near death the ufo connection is what is what you know to me was was the most awesome part of it because you you have done such research and you have so so carefully documented all of the things that you're bringing forth here and and the fact that it had to have been in in my opinion it had to have been an intelligent form that 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 was presenting themselves. It had to be the fact that you were in some way either empathically or telepathically awakened to the point where you were at the right place at the right time. There are no, there is no such thing as a coincidence. And I really believe that. I really do believe that. And, and one of the things that was very interesting, as a as a little aside, is six months before the mass sighting. I was invited to present my substance abuse prevention education program. I have a substance abuse and, and AIDS and teen pregnancy uh, prevention education curriculum that are being distributed by Discovery Education as we speak. And I, I went personally to the Gila Bend Indian Reservation, which is uh, a basin in between South Mountain and the Estrella Mountain Range. And, and if people go on the photo page on the Phoenix Lights Network, you'll see the topography. Uh, there's an area where South Mountain and the Estrella Mountains, which is uh, some distance behind South Mountain, intersect. And in that basin, in between those two mountain ranges in that location, is the Gila Bend River Indian Reservation, which is very sacred ground. And um, we got a bit friendly when I when I presented there. 
Darren, I called him after the mass sighting because I, I noticed consistently, and certainly in science we look for repeatability and consistency. And, and if you look, just look at the data, you can see that these phenomena keep showing up in 1995 and 19, January 1997 and March 1997 and, and even after in the same location where South Mountain and the Australias intersect. So I called them and I said, you know, my pictures keep in, indicating that, that something's going on in your, you know, close to your area. Did anybody ever see uh, on March 13th these strange lights? And they started to giggle. And I said, is that funny? And they said, are you kidding? We've been look, looking up at them for centuries. We call them sky people, light beings. It's part of their culture. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. And it's not only their indigenous culture, but cultures worldwide that believe that there are other intelligences out there. They believe these orbs are spirit world coming to visit them and give them their ancestors to come to visit them, to give them comfort and uh, inspiration and knowledge. And to them, it's just part of their culture. They're not afraid of it. They welcome it. They actually, um, we just presented, uh, we had this big event for the 13th anniversary of the Phoenix Lights. And by the way, in over 13 years, there has not been one report, not one, of harm, threat, or abduction associated with the Phoenix Lights event. And that's very telling in and of itself because over 10,000 people experienced the Phoenix Lights. But be it as it may, when we were having the, um, uh, the 13th anniversary presentation, uh, we were presenting the, the documentary, which has been a real, uh, not only a work in progress, but a real, real labor of love. Uh, Steve Lance, who is a very talented um, filmmaker, and I did this ourselves from our own hearts and pockets, and every year we add new interviews, including the governor, who in 1997 um, mocked the uh, the event by uh, announcing a press conference that they found the culprit and they matched, marched out one of his aides in an alien head costume. Oh. Very offensive to uh, the people who would experience something not of this world uh, in their estimation over and over again. And then 10 years later, right after the 10th anniversary, he actually came forward to say that he witnessed the Phoenix Lights event himself. He, he saw the craft with huge lights, and it was definitely not flares, and it was definitely um, not milita anything military. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the more people that come forward that are credible and uh, and share their stories. And a 911 police operator uh, just came forward uh, recently, and you know she came up to me after a presentation, and she said, uh, "Dr. Lynn, I, you know, I hear that the Phoenix Police Department said they only got a few calls, and I said that's what they reported." And she said, "Well, I'm here to tell you, I was on that night, and we received hundreds and hundreds of calls." And I'm willing to share that information, and she's in the in the new documentary as well. But but at any rate, um, I after the after we showed the documentary, which has won over a dozen international film festival awards, which is unheard of for a, not only a documentary but certainly one of this genre. We're so proud and and grateful for the for the reception in the film community. Um, a uh, a couple of um, native. Uh, Americans came up to me afterwards, just this past March, um, from a Hopi um, tribe, and, and said to me, because we had talked about it after the show, and they said, you're absolutely right on. I mean, not only do we invite these things in, we have protocols to invite these intelligences in, um, which is, I mean, who knew? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, just, it's so, I mean, this is something... 
you know, uh, maybe they they got it right, okay, not only communicating with other intelligences and spirit world and being open and, and welcoming uh, these, these other uh, intelligences, but um, also their, their love of the earth and their belief that, that everything is one and that everything is connected. And I think that, uh, you know, these, these unexplained phenomena, these ups, really, really reconnect us reconnect us with with those very fundamental and important and basic uh, uh, realities. Well, I think they are. You know, they in, in some places they've been called the watchers, the caretakers of Earth's life mm-hmm. forms. Um, and, and, you know, a great many people describe the same people, the same entities that you described with the, the, the glowing long cloaks and, and the fact that you couldn't see the faces, but you felt the information. You didn't necessarily hear, but the sound resonated inside of you. It was more of a telepathic communication. And what I find fascinating is that so many people have experienced this, and they just keep it quiet because they're afraid to come forward for fear. People are going to think they're nuts. And there is, I think, somewhere in your book, somebody said something to the effect of over the last 20 years, it was Dr. Jacobs, um, he pointed out that over the last 20 years, he believes that over 8 million people have been contacted by UFO intelligences, many without their cognitive knowledge. I think that's happening. I think yeah. the reason that we're seeing these these shifts, these 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 ships <laughs> is, is, is phenomena thank you is is because they're just being there they are waking up on some level awarenesses that are inside all of us yes yes i totally agree barbara they're you know just as i hope the book and the documentary wake up one person at a time that's what these phenomena seem to be doing and i don't know what they are i don't know who they are i don't know what their spirit world i don't know if they're in a dimensional, interstellar, well, I do, I do feel they're interdimensional either way, but right. um, interstellar, um, time travelers, I don't know. I don't know, but that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Something is trying to wake, wake us up in a very non-threatening way, by the way. Absolutely. Um, not only to their presence, and certainly if we look back in history, and I get into that in the book as well, I mean, they, these, these phenomena have been... Uh, written about and, and, and etched on prehistoric caves, uh, as well as in the Bible, as the Gideon's Wheel and so forth, um, for, for, since human documentation started. I mean, there's so much documentation for the similar phenomena. Uh, 15th and 16th centuries, we have pictures of, um, uh, people standing on the ground with, looking up at a UFO, what we would call a UFO today. Well, how did they know that? Unless they had seen something and they were drawing what they, what they saw, and even in World War II, they called them Foo Fighters. It's, I mean, really identical, identical phenomena of these orbs that were in rock-solid formation, usually two or three at a time, that were flying around the different aircraft from each country, and everybody thought that somebody else had this advanced spy technology, and it wasn't until after World War II that Japan and Germany and, and the United States realized nobody had this Try to, you know, advanced by technology. And, and there's also a lot of documentation as well of these orbs hovering over nuclear bases. Well, okay, even here in yeah. Phoenix, the, the uh, Palo Verde nuclear base, there's been reports. And there's, uh, I, I talk about um, an incident 
in Montana in uh, the 60s, the early 60s, where two different uh, nuclear silos were turned off for three hours, just turned off. I mean, that's like impossible. You cannot turn off a nuclear silo. But here there were uh, UFOs, you know, hovering at the gate, and then suddenly everything just went offline. Um, and three hours later it went back online. So, you know, what kind of message is that? saying. I, certainly they, you know, if they were malevolent, and I'm not saying everything out there is, is benevolent, I'm not saying that at all, um, but if, if what's visiting us and showing themselves uh, wasn't caring and, and kind, they could have done a lot of damage. Oh, well, and the other place that they, are, they have been cited over and over again are around crop circles. Oh, yes, yes, very good point, very good point, absolutely. There have been uh, not only, you know, I, I, there's some, uh, but there's also um, certainly reports from people who have seen the orbs uh, appear right before uh, a crop circle is formed, uh, you know, uh, especially in England. Oh, yeah, and the other place that they're seen, which I find phenomenal, are um, around volcanoes that are erupting or, right. or around national, not, you know, this, uh, the Chilean earthquake. There were a lot of them right. around during that time. And it, it's, it almost feels, and this is just my feeling and my interpretation, that, that they're, they're watching. They're, right. they're, um, I, I don't think they're causing, but they're watching. And mm -hmm. I'm not sure what they're watching for. But I mean, maybe they're trying to, to give us a heads up. I mean, look, it could be whatever. Um, but certainly there's something anomalous that's showing up in our skies. Uh, and some people will say in their bedrooms and in their homes, uh, because some people see these orbs in their houses as well, um, flying around. And uh, I've gotten many, many reports of that as well. Um, and certainly the native cultures, uh, you know, are very open to that and believe that they're, they're uh, you know, benevolent spirits and so forth that that, uh, that are there to inspire them and to, to give them comfort. So, um, and I think that it is comforting too. Uh, knowing that we do go on. And I, I wonder, Barbara, and, and I'd love your, uh, your reaction to this. I mean, I, I really, I'm so glad we're talking about this today because this is such an important part of um, not only my own experience but also uh, the whole realm of what reality could be out there is that we do go on after we pass uh, from this earthly body. Uh, in fact, I have pictures, and I sent you one, that, that, that will be released to the public soon um, that was taken 10 years after my mom passed, and she's in the picture. I mean, her, her arms, her hands are in the picture. Oh, do you explain that? Because th this is fascinating, and, and of course, because I, I do what I do, and, and, and I do see spirits when they, when they have crossed over, um, it, it's, it's so amazing to find validation for it. Well, what did you What do you think of the picture, first of all? I, you know, I haven't pulled it up yet. I didn't. I haven't oh. found it yet. I've been looking for it. But would you give the story? Okay. Um, well, number one, I, you know, I, I, I wanted to just share. I mean, if we really, if it sinks in with people that we do go on, that we do have, we are living now on Earth in, in our earthly container, and that the essence of who we are does go on after we pass and everything that we've done everything that we've done in our lifetime will have a very profound and lasting effect on who we are after we leave this body okay mm -hmm. um, that people might start thinking twice 
before they are unkind or um, uh, nasty or do, or do something to hurt someone else or, or Earth um, because it will follow them. And just from the selfishness of humankind and, and the greed of humankind, um, maybe that would hit home with some people that, hey, you know, what you're doing is going to follow you personally for the rest of your destiny. Absolutely. And, um, you know, that, that I think is a really, I mean, if that's not a big lesson to take with you from this conversation, <laughs> um, I don't know what is. But at any rate, uh, what happened here really did it for me. Um, because I, I really wanted to stay anonymous. Uh, I stayed anonymous for seven years. This is not about me. It's about the data. And I was letting my pictures out there from, from day one. Actually, the serendipitously, I happened to set up an appointment with uh, a field investigator. I called. This is how close I was to this topic because it was getting ridiculous. I kept running outside taking pictures of these things. I had no idea what they were. So I started showing the video, which, by the way, does not do it justice. In the video, they're much smaller, they're white, they flicker, which they do not do in real life. They're mm -hmm. huge balls. I mean, some people would describe them as when, they, when, they, when the craft went right over their heads, that they were canisters of swimming light inside the canisters. I mean, just the most unusual thing that you can ever imagine. But, but nonetheless, um, you know, the, the, uh, uh, what, after... After the Phoenix Lights happened, there was no investigation. I mean, I should, should share this because it, it leads up to this. There was no investigation, no explanation for months, which was just so weird. They, you know, the, the, when the government was asked or military was asked, and I called every military uh, uh, person that I could. I mean, every, uh, the Air Force Base and Davis Monson and uh, the Air National Guard, and they were more interested in seeing what I had documented and giving an explanation. They didn't know either. They were just as curious. And on June 18th, 97, a USA Today article, front page article, opened up our sighting to the world. And we were deluged by media from all over the world. And they, too, once they started talking to the witnesses and their descriptions were so detailed and so heartfelt, I mean, something really, really unusual happened here. They, too, couldn't believe that there was an investigation or an explanation. There was a lot of pressure on the government and military to come up with something. And the very next day, on, on June 19th, that's when... Um, the former Governor Fife Simonson called his press conference and then marched out, you know, a fellow in a, an alien head made a joke out of it. About a month later, July, actually I got a call July 24th, and it happened to be my sister-in-law's birthday that day, and, and right before I called her to wish a happy birthday in Delaware, I get a call from the head of the uh, Air National Guard PR, and she says, oh, Dr. Lynn, I think we know what those lights were back in March. And I was looking for any logical explanation, and I said, great, what were they? And she said, do you believe that in five months no one ever looked at the log for visiting Air National Guard, and the Merlin Air National Guard was in town sending off flares, so that must be what some people saw on their way back to David Monson at 10.30. And I said, okay. And I said, when were they in town? She said, March 1st to the 15th. And I said, so they were not in town in January? He said, oh, no, 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 just, just March. So I said, well, because I never told them what I had. I said, well, I have pictures that confirm. 
and confirmation from air traffic controllers the next morning that the same exact phenomena happened in the same exact location in Class B airspace. And she said, you never told me that. <laughs> and then I said, besides the fact, and by then I had educated myself to what flares look like because I was looking for any explanation, and flares drift and drop with the wind. I mean, they're, they're haphazard. They cannot keep information. They have huge smoke trails that are illuminated by the flare itself. And I said, and they're supposed to illuminate the ground and, and the area around them, and not one person described the Phoenix lights like that. And I said, and you're trying to tell me that that flares that cannot keep information traverse the entire state in a V, in a rock-solid V formation for hours. She said, oh, I have a call coming in. I'll get back to you. I'm still waiting. Uh, well. <laughs> anyway, after that happened, not only myself, but a number of other people, including Frances Emma Barwood, who was a councilwoman, and she was actually uh, vice mayor at the time. She, in May, okay, because her constituents were calling her and saying, why isn't there a, you know, investigation? She was also asked by a TV crew, um, innocently asked at a council meeting, uh, you know, what, what's going on here? Something happened in March, uh, you know, the, the, the traverse of our city just for safety issues. She was blasted. I was so thankful that I was anonymous, to tell you the truth, because anybody that came forward at that time was really blasted. But she kept going. I mean, she not only wrote a letter to um, uh, then-Senator McCain, and he sent it off to the uh, Dead End National Archives. Um, but she kept going, and she actually was running, three years later, she was running for Secretary of State on a platform that included getting answers for the Phoenix Lights event. And I didn't even want to go, you know, with, with the mocking of her at that point. But what happened was that she, too, was asking for a reenactment, okay? Mm -hmm. If the military did this, do it again. Show us, okay? Now, keep in mind, and this is real, when I, when I said it was really important, the, the photographic data I have, it is really important because I have proof that the same phenomena happened in the same location at least three times in 95, January 97, and during the mass sighting. So if it was military, it should be easy for them to do again, right? Sure. Well... On March 7th, and by the way, just, just to go back, when, when I got the call on the 24th, right after I called, right after I hung up, I called my sister-in-law, wish her happy birthday, and immediately, this is before it was announced the next day here, immediately she says to me, oh, I just heard on the news that the lights in uh, Phoenix were, uh, were flares. They heard back east before we even heard about it, so... You know, that and it's also a double red flag, but be that as it may. Here we are three years later, March 7th, 2000. It was announced big time on the news, on the, on the radio, on TV, that three Air National Guards, New York, California, and Michigan, they must have been practicing for weeks, I would think, um, were coming to Phoenix to show everybody the Phoenix lights. Okay, hooray. So we were all out with our cameras ready. Well, I want to tell you, Barbara, it was such a joke. I mean, they had their shot. This was their opportunity. They were announcing publicly that they were going to show everybody the Phoenix Lights. And they tried to make a uh, triangle. It was upside down. It fell apart immediately. There were huge smoke trails. And their, their deployment was in a totally different part of the sky than where my data was showing up consistently. Okay. So for me, at that point, I thought, whoa. You know, this is really heavy. I mean, I, I by then had a 700-and-something journal and thought, whoa, you know, this, this, this was their opportunity to prove 
once and for all that they did this, that it was the military. And they never addressed the craft, by the way. They have never to this day uh, addressed the, the thousands of people who saw uh, a craft right above their heads. But nonetheless, that, that really moved me a bit closer to think about while well, I was doing a lot of soul searching to come forward, because um, I knew if I didn't come forward, the, my book was just going to sit on the shelf. Um, and if I could lend a credible voice to so the people actually looked at the data, then it might be worth coming forward. But I needed that one more push. I needed that one more push because it was very uh, scary to come forward, and not only professionally but also personally. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, you know, I was really, really hesitant about it at that point. And then my son had called me uh, in January, the January before this March deployment, and he wanted to get a Siamese kitten for his then fiance. And they've been married for 10 years now, and uh, he could not find one that he liked in L.A. And he said, Mom, it's a good excuse to see you. Uh, I'll fly in on a Friday night, and um, we'll go Saturday morning. Well, try to find somebody that's going to keep kittens. Okay, so right. it was weeks before I found somebody that uh, said that they actually wouldn't be there to show them until Saturday morning. Um, there were three kittens, and we went to the house. He flew in, we went to the house, and one of them ran up right up to him. And it was very endearing because uh, it happened to be, again, serendipitously, that particular day was the 10th anniversary of my mom's passing. Now, I have to give you a little history of this. My, uh, Brett was our first, uh, was the first grandchild, and he had a very, very close relationship with my mom. They had a very, very special grandson-grandmother relationship, uh, very, very special. So uh, I have to say that, you know, for it to happen to be on the day of her 10th, 10th anniversary of her passing was very endearing, and we kind of kidded back and forth, oh, this is a gift from my mom, and mama will be with you, and wanting to believe, but, like, you know, kind of kidding around about it. He goes back to, to L.A., calls me up, Mom, you're not going to believe this. I, and he was a big skeptic of the family. Well, Danny was telling me, Mom, you got to come forward with this. It's too important not to share. Brett, the lawyer, the attorney, was saying, Mom, they'll find out this military will look like an idiot. He just, you know, he was straightforward skeptic. And until this happened. And I said, what's the matter? And he said, I, I got this iZone Polaroid camera. It's very little. It's like a, a little bigger than a stamp. But you have to pull out the strips before you can take the next picture. Right. He said, I took a, a whole roll of film of the kitty when I got back to the apartment. I was all by myself. And when I was looking at the strips afterwards, in the middle of the roll, there's a strip there where there's an arm with a hand in front of the kitten's face. As clear as can be. And the hand is translucent. You can see through the hand, and it looks like my mom's hand. Now I have to explain. My mom had, had um, uh, crippling arthritis, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, juvenile right. rheumatoid arthritis. And she actually went through nursing school in a uh, wheelchair and became uh, the head RN uh, of the whole uh, PDF, preemie nursery at the Albert Einstein Hospital in Philadelphia. She was an incredible lady. And um, she also had colon cancer. 
and uh, at 58, and she was told she had six months to live. And we brought her out to, to Phoenix, and, and I had her visualizing uh, Pac-Man, which was popular in the early 80s, right. uh, eating up the, the cancer cells, and we had a lot of positive thinking and, and, a, and a lot of love and so forth. And she had medical treatment as well. She went into remission, Barbara, for seven years. I mean, I've seen medical miracles. I, I saw the surgical notes myself. It was already seeded in the liver, and once the cancer seeded in the liver, you're a goner. She lived seven years longer, and, and some of them really good years, and she was, in those seven years, got really, really close with Brett. So, you know, what can I tell you? I mean, this was very unusual, but if she could find a way to communicate with him, she would find a way. She, she could move mountains. I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for my mom. God bless her. At any rate, uh, I was skeptical, and I said, Brett, you got your hand in the picture. Mom, I was taking it with my right hand. There's no way. It's a right hand, and it looks like Mom Mom's hand. She had a very distinctive hand from her arthritis. So I said, okay, don't send it through the mail. Put it away. When you graduate law school in, in, uh, UCLA law in, uh, in May, I'll pick it up then. I forgot about it. He brings out this strip after the graduation. I am a stall off my chair. I mean, and I, when I enlarged it, not only is there an arm as clear as can be with a translucent hand in front of the kitten's face that looks like my mom's hand. She really had a distinctive arthritic hand. But there's also another arm behind the kitten, cupping the kitten from behind. And you can see through the arm, Brett's Jansport backpack is on the floor. You can see the logo through the arm. And by then, I had done, uh, you know, all this research on uh, other unexplained phenomena and consistently with near-death experience and uh, out-of-body as well as uh, con UFO contact, people would describe uh, beings in white robes. Mm -hmm. Well, the arm in the picture is wearing a white robe. I mean, that was like, okay, this is just unbelievable. And I was still skeptical. I was sure. still, as a scientist, wanted to find a picture that uh, looked like my mom's hand to see if it was hers. And it certainly wasn't Brett's, okay? It was a woman's hand, and it looked like my mom's hand. So anyway, I started looking through boxes and boxes of pictures and found a picture of her when she was in her 30s uh, holding a preemie baby almost, almost the same way. But you can see quite vividly that the hands are the same, I mean, as far as the arthritic changes. And that did it for me. That did it for me, I have to tell you, Barbara. If anything really prompted me to come forward, uh, that picture did, um, because uh, it is what it is, um, and I've had it analyzed. I mean, it's it's authentic, it's there, and actually, I just did an interview recently for Paul Davids, who, who did the movie Roswell, mm -hmm. and he's coming out uh, in the next year or so with a movie about the most credible evidence for life after life, and uh, this getting serious about putting the book together and, and coming forward well you know I because of my modality I mean I I there there is a um, documentary coming out I know what I saw and there there should be another one that I know what I know um, I know the the essence of, of who we are does go into another dimension I know they move forward and you know you have documented proof um, you know, I don't have that, but but uh, by the way, I could not find the picture. So if you could send it again, I'd really appreciate it. Um, 
because I've looked all over here while you were talking, and okay. it's nowhere here. Um, but Definitely do that, and and you know once once the movie comes out, certainly I will share it share it with others. I mean, I think that's the next phase. Uh, but you know, you've been you've been given cues and hints for your entire life. You've you've been basically led and gently shepherded in directions that, that clearly um, have changed not only your life but the lives of probably millions of people and you just don't even know it. I, I think it's it's profound that, that you're comfortable enough to, to accept the fact that just maybe out there are watchers. Just maybe there there are entities that that are family uh, on some genetic level that that are guiding us to a, a sense of awakening and consciousness. Well, you know, I, I do feel very strongly that if we are open to it, and, um, and, and, and those people that close themselves off to this reality, um, I, I feel sad for them because they're really, and that's their choice, uh, but, because we have free will as, mm -hmm. as human beings. But, you know, I, I really feel that they are, um, they're missing so much um, enrichment and, and, uh, and even love. I mean, even love, because uh, there are beings out there uh, that, that, you know, will tap into the love feeling, and there's people that will tap into the negative feelings as well, okay? Um, so, you know, I, I do believe that. I mean, that's a whole other discussion, and I've seen it in medicine, and I've seen how people have become, um, you know, extremely ill because they just have a negative outlook on life and everything's negative, and they, they bring those the kind of, I think that there are negative energies out there and positive energies, and, and the negative energies feed on people that um, that are negative. And if you if you have a situation, you can even see, um, you know, if if you have a situation that uh, is making you feel bad, and you feed into that um, more and more and more, uh, you're going to be getting that. Um, that negative, uh, there's negative energies coming towards you and, and feeding on that, and it gets worse. And uh, you know, uh, as far as the, the positive, if you if you bring those positive energies and you ask for those positive experiences and and help and pray, I mean, I really we know, I mean, from uh, from studies alone that uh, you know, recent studies really show that prayer. Uh, especially group prayer, and, and even our own intention. I mean, we've seen that with what the bleep and uh, and other cases where um, our, our own intention will change even water droplets and water configuration and, and snowflake configurations. Um, when we give a loving feeling, they're beautiful, and, and when we have a negative, angry feeling, uh, it's it's just uh, the the they can't even uh, form correctly. It's almost like a cancer. Well, they they even done it with plants where where plants were nurtured and loved and talked to kindly and then plants were yelled and screamed at and plants were ignored and the ones that got the attention the love the compassion the talking grew and flourished and the ones that got nothing didn't and it, and you know it, it's it's amazing when you have stuff like that out there that people don't understand that we're like plants Oh yeah, I mean everything is connected and everything has energy. I mean, just recently, you know, when you when you really you know look at the data, look at the. I mean, it took 17 centuries for humankind 
and I just sent that off to you again. Um, it took 17 centuries for humankind to realize that there are zillions of microorganisms, tiny living entities all around us, even in our bodies. Some are beneficial, some are pathogens. We've learned to live with it. We don't freak out because we know that there's little things all over the place. Um, we've learned to, to live with it. Um, and they're there, even though we can't see them. Uh, and that goes for electromagnetic energies as well. We've learned just in the last few decades that, that electromagnetic energies surround every living cell, and that includes plants and, and, and the animal kingdom. And when you give off an energy, um, certainly it's going to affect the other energies around you, uh, positively or negatively. And, and just because we don't have the technology yet to definitively define what these anomalous things are yet, it doesn't mean they're not real. It's just like the tiny living entities that we can't see, the organisms and bacteria and viruses and so forth that we can't see. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's time for science. And I've been saying this for a long time, and that was another reason that why I wanted to come forward and, and try to be a credible voice so people look at the data and why I'm sharing the new data uh, concerning missing time, is that once science finally does look at this as a science question, and it's, it's happening, it's happening behind closed doors very much, but it's starting to come out in the mainstream as well, that's when we'll start to get answers. And also that's when people will start feeling more comfortable talking about it and, and uh, getting it out in the open. It's, it's time we, we get it out in the open and we, we address it and we accept it and we study it. So we, not only can we find out who's driving these things, but we can move forward in our own evolution. And I think that, that is really... I tell you, I've, I've read the, the expanded version of really getting serious about putting the book together and, and coming forward. Well, you know, I, because of my modality, I mean, I, I, there, there is a um, documentary coming out, I Know What I Saw, and there, there should be another one that I Know What I Know. Um, I know the, the essence of, of who we are does go into another dimension. I know they move forward, and, you know, you have documented proof. Um, you know, I don't have that, but, but uh, by the way, I could not find the picture, so if you could send it again, I'd really appreciate it. Because um, I've looked all over here while you were talking, and okay. it's nowhere here. Um, but we do that, and, and you know, once, once the movie comes out, certainly I will share it, share it with others. I mean, I think that's the next phase. Uh, but, you know, you've been, you've been given cues and hints for your entire life. You've, you've been basically led and gently shepherded in directions that, that clearly um, have changed not only your life, but the lives of probably millions of people, and you just don't even know it. I, I think it's, it's profound that, that you're comfortable enough to, to accept the fact that just maybe out there are watchers, just maybe there, there are entities that, that are family uh, on some genetic level that that are guiding us to a, a sense of awakening and consciousness. Well, you know, I, I do feel very strongly that if we are open to it and 
Um, and, and, and those people that close themselves off to this reality, um, I, I feel sad for them because they're really, and that's their choice, uh, but, because we have free will as, mm-hmm. as human beings. But, you know, I, I really feel that they are, um, they're missing so much um, enrichment and, and, uh, and even love. I mean, even love, because uh, there are beings out there uh, that, that, you know, will tap into the love feeling, and there's people that will tap into the negative feelings as well, okay? Um, so, you know, I, I do believe that. I mean, that's a whole other discussion, and I've seen it in medicine, and I've seen how people have become, um, you know, extremely ill because they just have a negative outlook on life and everything's negative, and they, they bring those kind of I think that there are negative energies out there and positive energies and, and the negative energies feed on people that um, that are negative and if you if you have a situation you can even see um, you know if, if you have a situation that uh, is making you feel bad and you feed into that um, more and more and more uh, you're going to be getting that um, that negative, uh, there's negative energies coming towards you and, and feeding on that, and it gets worse. And uh, you know, uh, as far as in the positive, if you if you bring those positive energies and you ask for those positive experiences and and help and pray, I mean, I really we know, I mean, from uh, from studies alone that uh, you know, recent studies really show that prayer. Uh, especially group prayer and, and even our own intention. I mean, we've seen that with what the bleep and, uh, and other cases where, um, our, our own intention will change even water droplets and water configuration and, and snowflake configurations. Um, when we give a loving feeling, they're beautiful. And, and when we have a negative, angry feeling, uh, it's, it's just, uh, the, the, they can't even, uh, form correctly. It's almost like a cancer. Well, they, they- even done it with plants where where plants were nurtured and loved and talked to kindly and then plants were yelled and screamed at and plants were ignored and the ones that got the attention the love the compassion the talking grew and flourished and the ones that got nothing didn't and it, and you know it, it's it's amazing when you have stuff like that out there that people don't understand that we're like plants well, yeah. I mean, everything is connected, and everything has energy. I mean, just recently, you know, when you when you really you know look at the data, look at the. I mean, it took 17 centuries for humankind. To, and I just sent that off to you again. Um, it took 17 centuries for humankind to realize that there are zillions of microorganisms, tiny living entities, all around us, even in our bodies. Some are beneficial, some are pathogens. We've learned to live with it. We don't freak out because we know that there's little things all over the place. Um, we've learned to, to live with it. Um, and they're there, even though we can't see them. Uh, and that goes for electromagnetic energies as well. We've learned just in the last few decades that, that electromagnetic energies surround every living cell. And that includes plants and, and, and the animal kingdom. And when you give off an energy, um, certainly it's going to affect 
the other energies around you uh, positively or negatively. And, and just because we don't have the technology yet to definitively define what these anomalous things are yet, it doesn't mean they're not real. It's just like the tiny living entities that we can't see, the organisms and bacteria and viruses and so forth that we can't see. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's time for science. And I've been saying this for a long time, and that was another reason that why I wanted to come forward and, and try to be a credible voice so people look at the data and why I'm sharing the new data uh, concerning missing time, is that once science finally does look at this as a science question, and it's, it's happening, it's happening behind closed doors very much, but it's starting to come out in the mainstream as well, that's when we'll start to get answers. And also that's when people will start feeling more comfortable talking about it and, and uh, getting it out in the open. It's, it's time we, we get it out in the open and we, we address it and we accept it and we study it. So we, not only can we find out who's driving these things, but we can move forward in our own evolution. And I think that that is really happening. Don't you, Barbara? Don't you think that worldwide more and more people uh, with a distrust of, of what's happening in the government and the military and, and, and the whole world scene and the, the terrorist situation and all that, certainly it's, it's raising fears. But I decided a long time ago that I, will, I refuse to live in fear. I will live in love. Mm -hmm. And when you make that decision, wonderful things happen. That's all I No, absolutely. And and it is an awakening and, and it's it's one person at a time. It's not a global unfortunately, but it's happening and you can see it beginning to it, there is there is almost a tsunami of spiritual awakening that's going on. And sooner or later it will take over. And and it's just it's a matter of, of a little bit at a time, people like you, people like the other people that came forward with, it, with their near-death experiences, the love, that, Lynn, that, that these people, one of the women said, I, I wasn't surrounded by love, I was love. Right. And it's amazing. By the way, I got the picture, and you have an absolute picture of a spirit around a cat. There's no doubt about it. Oh, good. That is the most, it is profound. I can't wait till you can share this with other people because it Isn't is amazing. Isn't it amazing, Barbara? It really is. And just, uh, you know, just so people know, I mean, it's, it, I think it's the next phase of this, um, you know, just to be able to be open to the possibilities. I mean, even, even on my photo page, if you look at the bottom, there, there are a couple pictures that I took of sunsets. I collect sunsets. Uh, we have some beautiful, beautiful sunsets in, in uh, the Phoenix area. And, um, and I have like five or six books of them. Uh, maybe one day I'll publish them. Some of them are amazing. But uh, I had taken five rolls of film uh, around the holiday time. And this was November and December of 2000. And uh, after the holidays were over, after the first of the year, I got five rolls developed. And as I'm going through them, I see in one packet um, there's a strange-looking cigar-shaped thing <laughs> in the sky. And, and in a later shot, it actually turns or, 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 or moves or something, and you can see that it's a triangle. Mm -hmm. And I thought, whoa, I mean, what's that? I didn't see that when I was taking the picture, but it was definitely in the negative. And it's not a bug or anything like that. I've had these all analyzed. Um, in another wall, in December, now that one was November, in December, gorgeous sunset, 
the same exact thing is in the same exact spot in the sky. And it occurred to me that, whoa, you know, I didn't see it then either, that these phenomena, and that's going back to the interdimensional concept, are here with us. Mm-hmm. They're right here with us. We just don't get to see them unless we're open to them or invited. And, and my camera happened to catch it on, on film. Well, I think, and, you know, my favorite, my favorite movie of all time is Close Encounters, and my favorite line from that movie was, they were invited. Right. And, and I think you've been invited. Well, you know, everybody, again, has a choice to do what they want to do, and, and, and we have free will. And like I said, my husband didn't want any part of it. He's mm-hmm. very supportive of what I'm doing, but, you know, he's busy with his own things. And, uh, you know, whereas for whatever reason, I have felt compelled and, and really obligated uh, as an educator to use my expertise and my background and so forth to try to do something productive and professional and credible uh, with what I have. Um, you know, it's uh, whatever. I, I'm certainly inspired from somewhere. And, and for some reason, and even Dr. Bruce McAbee, uh, in his quote, um, a very kind quote, uh, says that, you know, if it wasn't for the Phoenix Lights, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. <laughs> well, you know, you're, the research in it, and not only, I mean, i got to tell people, it's not just the Phoenix Lights she goes into. It's, she goes into the the concept of spiritually speaking, and she goes into the concept of of investigating all sorts of different phenomena. It's it's an amazing accumulation of of, of information, and you've done it so brilliantly. It's ama- it boggles my mind. You even go into the fact that that if indeed there there are it is another intelligence you know that has been with us since the beginning of recorded time. That you even found things that that do suggest that they have in in some ways gently guided us and put things into our reality. Um, you have a list um, on the Peruvian plateau. Ornaments were discovered made of smelted um, platinum, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. which begins to melt at 1800 degrees centigrade. In Lebanon, there are glass-like bits of rock called help me tectites. Tech- in which radioactive aluminum isotopes have been found in Egypt and Iran. There's there's cloth of a fabric so intricate that today it could be woven only in a special factory with great technical expertise. In Delphi and Greece, an ancient pillar made of iron that is still not ravaged by phosphorus, sulfur, or the effects of weather. And, and in China, parts of a belt made of aluminum metal that's been extracted from bauxite under tremendous, you know, chemical technical circumstances were retrieved from a grave i mean we've been seated with, with well, you know was it was there an advanced uh civilization um you know many many moons ago uh that destroyed themselves or somehow left left our planet um who knows that's possible too but you know when you look at the at the um pyramids and you look at some of the other artifacts that, that are here that we can't even do now with the technology that we have um you know something uh something helped in 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 getting uh you know the details of of uh 
you know, astronomical details and, and so forth that, that we have found um, in, in some of our uh, very, very, very ancient uh, findings. Um, you know, was there another, uh, Graham Hancock believes that maybe there was another uh, civilization that is no longer here. Maybe they destroyed their, themselves. Maybe as I came back from my near-death experience thinking that, you know, if these beings are giving us, uh, uh, you know, a stimulus and looking for a reaction, maybe we are an experiment. I mean, that's a possibility, too, and they, they are leaving us to our, to our own uh, will, free will, uh, to do as, as, uh, as we will with our own destiny. Um, they're watching, and they're trying, as you suggest, to, to give us inspirations and uh, to help us along. Um, but, that, you know, we, we as human beings have to, have to really step up and realize that we are stewards of this earth and that we have so much positive potential to do good, to do good, and and to make this place, this planet, a, a better world. I mean, there are, there are even postulations that uh, Mars was a living planet and that something drastic happened there, whether it was a, a natural disaster or whatever, we could be seeded from, from Mars um, or, or elsewhere. And now, actually, you bring up a really good point, Barbara, because if, if you go on to um, the homepage of the Phoenix Lights Network, the phoenixlights.net, the phoenixlights.net. Number one, you'll see a uh, report that I just did recently for the Arizona family uh, report, which shows uh, the flare drop, and you can see very clearly that the flares are nothing like the real, true Phoenix Lights unknowns, uh, number one. And number two, I also did a report um, I think it was ABC uh, with Dr. Paul Davies, who is a microbiologist, very famous, uh, acclaimed. He is now at uh, ASU, and and he actually heretofore um, was was not really too open about us being visited by extraterrestrials, so to speak. And but now is actually, and in this report, it's very, very poignant, uh, talking about the possibility uh, not only that life is viable everywhere, and I talk about this in the book, I mean, from the, from the uh, hot springs of Yellowstone to the uh, Arctic lakes, the frozen Arctic lakes, uh, life is there, and, and we just found, I mean, just in the last few years, we are able, with our own technology now, to go into depths of the ocean that we could never go to before, and there are living organisms, beautiful ones, that glow um, down at the bottom of the ocean uh, that we didn't even know existed, okay, and they're right here. Um, but what he's saying, and, and that's a, it's a big step for Dr. Paul Davies to, to say this, and he's been meeting with the Royal Academy uh, just recently and, and other scientists, that microbes could very easily, I mean, it makes sense, very easily hitch a ride on an asteroid, and we're being hit all the time around the world um, by asteroids and start their own DNA tree. I mean, our, as humans, we have a DNA tree. And, um, and you know, as they put it, I mean, there could be a whole forest of different DNA trees out there. And when you, when you look at the fact, too, that our, our one Milky Way galaxy, and there could be trillions of galaxies out there with their own planets and their own stars and their own suns and so forth. But our one Milky Way galaxy is about 14 billion years old. Mm -hmm. Our solar system is a very young solar system. 
It's only four to six billion years old. So there are scientists now postulating that there could be intelligent, sentient entities billions of years ahead of us. Billions of years ahead of us. Just think about that for a second. It's just mind-boggling. And, you know, the fact that if they got through what we're going through, this adolescence that we're going through, on, on Earth now and, and advanced past that, um, that not only would they have the technologies and certainly know how to go, you know, wormholes or whatever you want to do, I mean, stuff that we couldn't have even, don't even have a concept for and, and certainly uh, propulsion and all that to be able to come in and out of our, our dimension uh, at will um, very easily. But uh, just the fact that, come on, let's be real. If there were, and maybe we're being protected, some people think we're being protected by some of the benevolent intelligence out there, and maybe we are, but if there was somebody that wanted to take over, they would have a long time ago. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is something Patrick and I talk about all the time. Um, it, it, uh, you know, we're right on the same, we're in the same book and on the same page on that one. Um, it, it does feel as though we are being protected and guided and awakened and and so that we can take our place, whatever that place is. Right, and, and become part of the, uh, you know, galactic family, which um, I have to tell you, if you go on, on the website, too, and we have this in the new documentary uh, version that just came out in March, uh, The Phoenix Lights Beyond Top Secret and the bonus features. Um, but it's really interesting. I have to share this. I think you'll appreciate it. Um, you know, I, like I said, I get thousands of, of emails throughout the, uh, the year since I came forward in 04, and um, each one is intriguing, and each one is a wonderful story and I love when people share share theirs and they've sent me pictures and drawings and that kind of thing. Well last summer, uh, I believe it was June sixth or July sixth, um, I get an email from a fella who was living in Sedona at the time. Actually it was uh, I think ninety six when, when I was, you know, starting to, to get all these awakenings. And um, he was, too. He, he was a truck driver. He never drew a thing in his life. He had no art background. And suddenly he was getting uh, these messages from somewhere to sit down and close his eyes and with those hands start drawing these illustrations and these symbols, I mean, really intricate and complex um, illustrations. And um, he started sending some to me. In fact, when you go on the web website, uh, Phoenix Place Network, initially you'll see this triangle with uh, circles coming out from it. And uh, that he actually sent me as the Phoenix Place Universal Peace Emblem. Oh, yes, um, which beautiful. Is beautiful. But if you go onto his page, uh, his name is Brian DeFloris, and, you know, at first, and, 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 and you know, I, I'm very open to things, must, one must be, even though I was a healthy skeptic, for sure, and certainly about the Phoenix Lights, I, I took every, every opportunity to try to find a logical explanation. And one must be open as a physician, because anybody can walk through the door with, with, with their story, and, and you must be open and, and, uh, and have an empathy for, for other uh, people's experiences. But at any rate, he, he started sending me these things and telling me, um, and really getting into some stuff that I never go to. I mean, I'm, I try to be as scientific as I can with all this, although I've heard a lot of stories about, you know, back engineering and about uh, from downed aircraft, and that's why we have uh, some of the things that we 
you know, have in our in our homes the fiber optics and microwave and uh, laser and so forth. Um, but on the other side, also uh, there are people out there that believe that there is a galactic federation uh, of alliances of of uh, a ruling group that uh, of beings that is really uh, you know protecting us and so forth. I have no idea. I want to say that right up front. I have no idea. But here Brian was telling me that he was getting messages from them uh, that he should send these pictures to me personally. And if you want to read some, I haven't I haven't put nearly what what he sent me, but I did put some of the information uh, on on that page uh, that he had sent me. But what was really poignant to me, because this is not about me, um, was the fact that he had sent uh, these symbols that were so unusual. And I thought, geez, you know, they kind of look like crop circles. And I sent them to, uh, I sent copies to Colin Andrews, who was a, a, one of the top uh, crop circle researchers in UK, and uh, to Chet Snow, who actually um, did a uh, conference every year here in Tempe on, on crop circles. And both of them simultaneously sent emails back to me um, praising Brian DeFloris and his work. They knew about him already, and that uh, he was quite famous, which I had no idea. And also the fact that there were crop circles that formed, two different crop circles, and I have them on the website, that formed three weeks after he sent that first one to me with the symbols. Wow. Of almost the same thing. But, well, it's interesting because you know I don't Not know. My attention. <laughs> I, I don't know if you know, but I paint mandalas. Oh. I stopped painting them in '92. There, there are there are hundreds of them all around the world. And after I stopped painting them, I did a deck of cards that was a you know it was a compilation of of all of them. And mm -hmm. after I after it was published, they started to be replicated in crop circles as well. Wow, very cool. Very so, that really got my attention, plus the fact that Chet Snow happened to be in UK at the time, right after it was formed, and went there to one of them and said that he walked around. There were very, very different symbols and hieroglyphics, but, but mm -hmm. similar but different. And, and it was like the first time that these kinds of um, crop circles were formed. Okay, they've been formed before and, and very advanced and very complicated. And he walked in one of them and said that he got that effect. I mean, he was drunk. He said by the time he, he finished walking through it, he couldn't even walk straight. And oh, yeah. No, I, I've, had the, I've, I've had the opportunity to walk in crop circles. And a couple of things. You don't notice any bugs. There's a smell of ozone. And, and you get higher in a kite. Right. Well, he said he tried. He had to get somewhere, so he got in his car anyway, and he got lost. He, I mean, he just he said he had such a, an after effect from that crop circle, and and you know both of them said that they were just amazed at the uh, uh, at what Brian had sent me. So I, I now include that, and he started sending me more pictures that were just beautiful. I mean, absolutely beautiful. I mean, wherever they're coming from, he certainly is inspired um, in a way that is just. So beautiful and so artistic and um, and poignant and and believes and I have to tell you when you when you look at these and that's why I put them up there mm -hmm. when you really look at them and study them you do get an energy from somewhere that mm -hmm. affects you okay there there is an effect an after effect um, that is very very positive and uh, uh, it just it it feels good oh it, yeah. 
good, and it's like a connectedness to something out there that's that's bigger than there is definitely there is definitely something creatively filtering into the human consciousness, and it's waking stuff up that is magical for sure. Well, it's all it's all good, and I'm I'm so thrilled that I can share some of this with with your listeners, and you know oh, I goodness. hope that they'll that they'll pick up the the book, especially the new one with the new data in it, and oh. um you know and see firsthand. I mean that's uh you know it's there if, if they choose to to look at it, and and that was the other reason that I did the um, the documentary as well. I was working full time at the Arizona Heart Institute uh, wellness and, as the chief clinical consultant of the Wellness and Imaging Center and had no time. I mean, I was when I came out with the book in March of 2004, I was working 7 to 7, doing radio programs like this into the night, and on the weekends I was doing Barnes & Noble and Borders book tours. And I was approached by a couple of uh, filmmakers, including Steve Lance, and um, they were very passionate about doing something about the Phoenix Lights, and, and I would have loved to. I mean, that's what I've been doing for 30 years is video and workbook curriculums, but I had no time. And I, you know, I really wanted to. I had no time. And Steve was very, very persistent. And his parents live here. And he said, "I'm coming in May with with um, all my equipment in hand, and we're we're doing this." And I said, "Well, you know, number one, I don't have time. And number two, I don't know if anybody else will do it. I mean, I stayed anonymous for seven years. How can I expect the the, uh, the university professors that could lose their grants? Okay, I mean, that's biggie. You know, some of them wouldn't even talk to me because they could lose their grants if they mentioned the word UFO, um, as well as, uh, you know, other witnesses that had emailed me in confidence. I said, you know, I better make some calls to find out if, if anybody will even do this. And every single person except one who later came on board uh, said, wholeheartedly said yes. And everything just fell into place. And by, and actually what really prompted me to do it is that I was asked by um, uh, parents who had seen me at Barnes & Noble here at the Biltmore to present at their uh, son's middle school. Mm-hmm. And which was amazing because to have this topic in a middle school is like unheard of. So I was thrilled uh, for that alone. But I walked in the last period of the day. I have to tell you, Barbara, 200 students, you could hear a pin drop. They were on the edge of their chairs. They thirst for this knowledge. Absolutely. And I, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Oh, my goodness. There is a chunk of history missing from our history books. There is nothing in the schools concerning this topic at all. And I knew at that moment I had to do the documentary. And once we did start and I left the Heart Institute, which I love doing, and uh, and I haven't looked back. Well, I'll tell you, the book is phenomenal. I just looked at the time. And it's fine. It, has, <laughs> about it has fled by. Why, why didn't you full time here? We could have done another hour or so. Um, I, I, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and, and all of our listeners. And Patrick and I truly appreciate all of the, all of the information that you have poured into the, this two-hour stint here that has been amazing. Um, I, I just, we're going to have to do this again. 
That's well, all there is to it. And it's a joy. It's a joy visiting with you, Barbara. And um, you know, I, I just hope people will will take a look at the data because it really does speak for itself, and it's there. Uh, you know, if people want to want to learn and grow, and and that's what all this is about. And and to really tap into um, uh, the true goodness that we are, and and uh, and realize that there is so so much that we can do each individual to to make this a better world. And I I hope that. Um, um, you know that message above all uh, will 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 reach people and and know that that we're not alone. We're not alone in this universe. And the Phoenix like sucked me into all this. But like like you said, I mean it's it's there's so much more information uh, about so many other things that are that are connected. And actually, I'm working on a curriculum now. That's the third phase of the Phoenix Lights project. I'm getting back to my roots and, and getting back to my passion um, and develop a comprehensive. Curriculum from fourth grade on up, uh, where we can address crop circles and, and math. I'm working with a senior math professor at ASU, uh, and, and he's very into the crop circles and the, and the uh, very complicated mathematical equations that, that we can um, uh, really learn from these crop circles, as well as the history uh, timeline of of these things, as well as the science, certainly uh, between quantum physics and propulsion and, and other words that. I'm sure school school kids have not even heard yet, uh, as well as uh, conflict resolution. If we can't if we can't solve our own conflicts between ourselves, how are we supposed to be able to connect to other intelligences that might be different than us? So that's part of, of the whole curriculum, uh, as well as a lot more. At age 56, I feel better than ever. I walk eight miles to work, practice yoga, and paddleboard on weekends with my husband. I'm also a GNC store manager. When customers ask how I do it all, I tell them that GNC vitamins and supplements really help. Our formulas are the highest quality, made with some of the best, most effective ingredients, guaranteed. Now, some of GNC's best wellness products are buy one, get one half off. Which ones are right for you? Just ask. We make it simple. Visit GNC or GNC.com for details. <laughs> 